So welcome back to Blended. I'm joined by another amazing panel of guests. And today we're talking about acceptance versus inclusion. This is a discussion that has grown out of all of our previous episodes of Blended. As we really dove deep over the months into keywords, diversity, equity, equality, inclusion, and thought more about what they meant and how they translate into the workplace, the more I started to feel that the word inclusion might not be enough. So that's exactly a move towards why we're looking at the words acceptance versus inclusion, because I don't know, but acceptance could be a little bit of a better word than inclusion, but we are going to debate that today. So welcome to Nate, Audrey, Jason, and Gabby, who are going to share their thoughts on that with us today. Thank you all so much for joining us. Let's get started with some introductions. Can you each tell me who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Audrey, I'm going to start with you. For sure. Uh, so I'm Audrey Ross. I'm she, her, I'm cisgender, living it up in Toronto, Canada. Uh, my day-to-day, I'm in supply chain. I'm an import and export compliance manager. So I handle a lot of international trade um, and sort of all the, the nitty gritty that goes into that. Um, I'm a happy girl guide leader. So that's Girl Scouts, most of the rest of the world, but uh, but here it's Girl Guides. And so that is group of um, nine to 12-year-olds um, girls and we just, you know, go on our camping, we do our adventures and, and we're just curious about uh, what's going on in the world. Um, so that's a bit about me. Awesome. Thank you. Super excited to have you here. Nate, you're next. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Great to meet you, Audrey and, and Gabby and Jason. Uh, so my name is Nate Chalev. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I'm an inclusivity expert. I have uh, my own consulting business called Revel Impact, where I work with companies to create workplace cultures where both businesses and people thrive. Uh, I'm based in Brooklyn with my dog, uh, Joan Jett. She's a beagle mix and my wife. Uh, and it's it's great. It's wonderful here. And uh, I identify, I am uh, white, I'm Jewish, I am autistic, I am trans, non-binary, um, I'm from Staten Island, so if we really want to get into uh, New York accents, I can have an accent come out very quickly, and we can just like talk like this for the rest of the episode. I'm like, it'll be fine. Like, we can have a great conversation or whatever. Well, that is awesome. Super glad that you are here. I mean, if you want to start in the accent, you're going to have to keep it going throughout the episode. Otherwise, people are going to think we have five people on this call instead of four. All right, Gabby, over to you. So hi, everyone, and thanks for having me. Uh, my pronoun, pronouns are she, her. And from um, an identity perspective, I'm a cisgender woman. I'm of uh, Chilean descent, so I was born in Chile and now live in Toronto. My family came here as refugees. Uh, so, you know, those are real big identity markers for me. Um, uh, professionally, I have two businesses. I have a consulting practice that supports organizations in doing DEI work, uh, and that's called Inclusive Kind. And I also am the co-founder of another organization called Hear You. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm in Toronto. Um, I'm married to my husband, Mark, and I have two young kids, a three-year-old and a 10-year-old. Wow, you're busy. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Gabby. 
Super excited to have you here. Um, and also just to mention, Gabby and Audrey are on the board of the Blended Pledge with me, and we are making an impact on having diverse voices on industry stages. So super excited to have you both here. Now, last but absolutely not least, Jason, we are super excited that you could join us today. Can you tell us who you are, what you do, and how you identify? Well, Sarah, good evening. Thanks so much for having me. I'm going to speak in a very British accent for your viewers. <laughs> and I will stay consistent throughout the entire call. Uh, I'm Jason Roberts, the founder of Collider International. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. Uh, I'm a cisgender male married to a lady for about 15, been 15 years now with two nice. daughters. Uh, I'm the founder of the UK and Europe's first fully inclusive B2B marketplace. And with a focus on actually helping corporates find, identify and assess diverse suppliers that they can invite to tender. And the difference about the Collider platform is that we're actually, you know, we are fully inclusive. And our focus is not just on any one specific diverse identity, um, but actual fact, trying to represent everyone in, and in one place. Awesome. I love that. And where are you located? So today I'm in a place called Leeds, a city called Leeds in the UK. I'm based traditionally in, uh, in a place called Essex uh, nice. in the east of England. Nice. So we've got global representation. We've got the Canadians, we've got the Americans, and we've got the British. All right. And we're all just about to debate the words inclusion versus acceptance. Now, this is a big one. This one came to me, um, like I said, a couple of months ago, because we're, all, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's what everybody knows DEI about. But somebody had mentioned to me that the word inclusion actually means tolerance. And do we really want people to tolerate this or do we want them to accept because acceptance means love? And so that's the basis of this conversation. Are we using the right words? Are we not using the right words? Are we, you know, um, really letting people know that this is about tolerance or is it really about love? So it's been a while since we had an episode about words and their impacts because we did that all the way back in episode one. But I want to go back to some definitions before we get into this debate. So what does the word inclusion mean to you? Now, I've just I've just let you know uh, what somebody had mentioned inclusion means to me. And I kind of really do resonate with that. Now, Nate, do you want to start us off and talk to us about the word inclusion? Yeah, I sh sure can. Uh, so I, I love words. I love thinking about words. Um, and I would also say that labels themselves are always imperfect. So I talk about the LGBTQ community a lot. And especially with those words, identity words, uh, what often happens is we have a specific experience and then we're trying to find the label that matches up with that word. And no label is going to be specifically perfect. When we find uh, one that works for us, we use it. And then when a label stops working for us, we try to use something else. So um, right now, like trans is an umbrella for a bunch of different identities that just aren't uh, for folks who are not identifying as cisgender. So in general, I think labels uh, are always just not um, not perfect, right? When we're talking about experiences, when we're specifically we're talking about feelings and uh, just the way that we are existing in, in the world. Um, so for me, inclusion, so I've heard uh, diversity is being asked to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. Um, I, I often think about it as like inclusion is being asked to dance and knowing that it's okay to say no, because at this party, there's also board games and there's also a really quiet area in the back. So no matter where you are at this party, you can dance if you want to, but you also know that there's many different ways for you to still feel, um, like you can be at this party and you can have a good time, but you get to choose exactly what that means to you, depending on who you are. 
I love that. Thank you. Jason, I see you nodding your head. Do you want to jump in here? Yeah, look, interestingly, inclusion for me is more of a behavior, right? It really is, as Nate was saying, it's about essentially having a seat at the table. So when we look at uh, supply diversity, for the most part, it really is trying to allow that ensure that everyone has an opportunity to participate uh, irrespective of their diversity. And I think so for us, uh, the way we look at that word, very important actually when we're looking at DNI. Um, or DE and I, or you can even say DEE and I, because there's obviously <laughs> some confusion around equality. <laughs> um, it really is, like I say, it's more of a behavior. We're, a, you know, we, we accept uh, that irrespective of who you are, you're allowed to be here as well. Sorry about that. I was on mute. I love that. And I think um, DEE, so when I think about the word acceptance, right, I am almost thinking, how do we use that acronym? Is it going to be D-E-I-A? Because <laughs> you can't do D-E-A. I mean, that just right. has a completely different connotation, especially in the U.S. Gabby, what do you think about the word inclusion? Sorry, I was on mute as well. So uh, I completely agree with what Nate and Jason just said. And I think I love this like we could almost use this as an, as an example of what inclusion is, right? Like we are having this call and all of us are being asked, you know, to share uh, what we think something means. And inclusion is to me about, you know, one, I got invited to this call, right? Here I am given the opportunity to share my perspective with people that are really different from me, right? Like I look at, at, at uh, you know, on the Zoom call, I see, you know, like Jason's black and he's there and, you know, like, and, Sarah, you're this blonde woman sitting there, right? So we're all different from one another. And that really is the kind of the diversity piece. But inclusion is that me getting invited to this conversation that across our differences, we're together and that we're seeking each other's input. We're asking each other what we think. And I think inclusion ultimately means that the five of us on this call can actually take all of these different perspectives that we've all shared based on our experience and we can create something new out of it, right? And we were all able to participate in that creation of something new and not just taking one person's perspective and saying, that's the definition. That to me is like, that's inclusion, right? Like we're all a part of this and uh, we all get to share and then we're going to craft something and create something that didn't exist before. That's, that's for me, the definition. Yeah, I love that. And that's what this podcast really is all about, right? Is to bring everybody together to talk about the different perspectives and really... I think as we move forward and we're talking about inclusion versus acceptance, maybe inclusion is the initial word, but maybe acceptance is the journey that we need to be on. I don't know. I'm just sort of throwing it out there. Audrey, <laughs> inclusion sure. versus acceptance. What, do you, what, what are you thinking? Well, I think just topping up, you know, uh, Nate, Jason and Gabby just made some great points. So, I mean, the only thing I could add is, is you know, kind of touching on what Nate, Nate sort of positioned is that. Every, this is all transition. You know, we, we have, um, you know, we, I, I think mentally we all like to try and organize ourselves. Our brain likes to organize ourselves into these groupings or have these labels. Um, and our brain likes to choose things that are familiar because it's trying to make things easier for us. And I think we always have to sort of kind of, um, work against that sometimes because the natural inclination is to just like, oh, well, you know, I always go this route to the office or I always do these things and I have this familiar pattern and I identify this way or I call things that way. 
Um, and I think with words, we do have a tendency to, to sort of fixate or, or determine that, okay, that's the word and label for this. And it will be that way forever. And the reality or our lived experience is that, no, these things change and transition just as we change and transition and grow. So, you know, for me, I, I think I, I don't have sort of a fixed opinion on either. I think as a group and as a community, as Gabby said, it's like we can kind of understand or appreciate that, that we're all in a transition. We're all kind of transitioning to a growth. And then the words may need to change to fit the situation. And But ultimately, for me, it's how how am how am I leaving people feeling after they interact with me? Um, in my day-to-day, are people, you know, are people having a positive and and um, you know, sort of sort of welcoming and 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 enjoyable sort of experience when they're working with me or when I'm when I'm interacting with them or 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 not? And if it's not, then it's like I have a bunch of work to do. But I think no matter what our word choice is, I think it's getting to a point where we're not sort of fixating on some of these labels and then choosing that we can't interact with, with people who are different from us in, in sort of whatever way, or this, this, this broad spectrum, um, of words. So that's, you know, that's the only Sarah, thing I can add. Yeah. Sarah, add to that. So I'm not particularly sure I'm comfortable with the word acceptance. I think acceptance Ooh. allows someone to have an out right? It allows them to say, I don't accept you. I don't accept your life choices. I don't accept uh, the way that you see yourself. Whereas I think inclusion actually says, it doesn't matter what you think. I've got a right to be here because I am who I am in my authentic self. So I would argue or debate or perhaps share, no express, perhaps a better word, as we're playing on words here. <laughs> I'll perhaps share that the word acceptance, I think allows people to remain ignorant to difference. Inclusion says, irrespective of your ignorance, your lack of knowledge, um, your weakness in knowledge and understanding, me as a black male has a right to be here because we're being inclusive. And I think I think there's a real, you're right, we've got to be very careful in the words that we use. And I think as a definition, um, I'm perhaps not as comfortable with acceptance. Huh. I love that you brought that up. That is such an interesting point. And it actually gets me to my next point, because is there anything negative around the word inclusion? Now, I brought this up at the beginning of the conversation was that I've been told by other people the way they see the word inclusion really means tolerance. And is that what we're really asking people to do? And so for me, in my world, what I've heard is tolerance. And so that's a negative connotation towards inclusion. And so what have you experienced from a negative standpoint for the word inclusion? Because Jason's just uh, expressed why acceptance doesn't work for him. But what are we seeing on the other side? Is it box ticking, right? Because that could be part of it. Is it that we're getting a job done by using the word inclusion? Nate. Yeah, so... um... So I also, as we've been talking, I realize there's also a word, I don't know if it's it's globally used, but in the US it's belonging that's used a lot as well. So it's bring it up. inclusion and belonging. So just to like throw that in there as well. Yeah. Um, but to uh, to think about the, the negative connotations, I think truthfully uh, with DEI, with anything, when we're trying to make something an acronym or we're trying to, to um, condense something that's so, so big in this way, right? Because we're often talking about um, histories of marginalization, history of discrimination. We're talking about why people haven't 
you know, gotten a, a seat at the table before. And so when you take all of these big historical concepts um, and try to put them into one word, I don't think it actually ever works. I think you also really lose something mm. by doing that. So I think when you say DEI, you lose different aspects. The inclusion gets lost in the, you know, the, or equity gets lost in DEI, right? And so I, I know that we're trying to be precise and we're trying to think about all these different things, but I think because we're talking, um, sometimes justice is, is also used in, in this acronym. It's um, JEDI, it's Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. And oh, yeah, I mean, and all these, okay. there's, but, but I think that there's all these different ways to say very similar things. And I think that the words themselves, um, I don't want to say matter less than the actual outcome. So I know for me, uh, um, especially being autistic, I know I'm never really going to enter, like being trans and autistic, I'm never going to enter a space and, and either feel accepted or included. That's not my goal. My goal is never that because the world isn't set up for me. The world is not set up for me to feel like that. What I do want to do is break down the systemic barriers, the resources that I need. I want to know that I can enter a space and have what I need to be successful. I don't necessarily need to feel part of a community because I know that to me, that's an unachievable goal. But what I do wanna make sure is that I'm gonna go in and um, if I'm interviewing, I wanna make sure that I have the accommodations that I need. If I'm going to an event, I wanna make sure that there's a bathroom that I can use, that there's a gender neutral bathroom. Do you know what I mean? Like those are the things that I need to make sure I can at least participate. And for me, that's the line. So, so there's, I, I guess, to, to your initial question of, of what's the negative of it, I think there's a negative to all of these different words because of the, the big concepts that we're trying to tackle. Absolutely. Oh, go, Jason. No, no, no. I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm going to be inclusive, right? I'll let, let everyone else speak as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, go ahead. And then no, I'll, I'll, no. go, I'll go over to Audrey. So, so the thing about, about, about box ticking is on... The reverse of this is that someone will feel excluded, right? And I think so whenever we're trying to be inclusive, we actually end up targeting particular communities that often True. feel like they're excluded. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, there's a community that then feels that they are the now ones who are now the victims of or the pariah in society. And so, you know, I think inclusion is a really powerful word because it says it doesn't matter who you are, you've got a chance to be where you want to be, or to right. And so is there a negative perception on the word, um, ex sorry, is there a negative perception of the word acceptance, right? Uh, no, inclusion. Yeah. So like, does, yeah. does the word inclusion actually bring out, like bring out trust? I, like, I think, it... look, I, I, I'll be honest, and I think this is a great pod and I'll, and I'll, and I'll be honest. Okay. I think when you look at the word inclusion, there is a certain profile of individuals that then feel that they are being targeted and excluded. Yes. And particularly in supply diversity, um, the white cisgendered male, silver haired male who's 40 years old plus, et cetera, they feel that they are being excluded as a result of the inclusion that is happening now for everyone else. In supply diversity, it's actually not the case for, because for the most part, a corporate will spend maybe 5% of their annual budget with diverse communities. That means there's 95% of budget left for everyone else, whoever that everyone else uh, in, involves. But because there's so much talk around inclusion and targeting people based on identities, the one group that doesn't feel they're being represented in inclusion ends up becoming um, uh, almost fighting the benefit for the most part of what inclusion is really designed to achieve. So is it negative? There's a lot of education to be done to those people who fit that profile of white cisgendered male, that they're not being excluded. They're just trying to now share that pie with everyone else. So negative perception, yes. Mm -hmm. Is it right? Um, 
No, they are. They, there is a misunderstanding of the purpose of inclusion, and it huh. does not exclude anyone. I love this podcast. Honestly, I learned so much from just being here, Audrey. I mean, that's that's the key. Is is yeah? It's it's these these words are going to be imperfect, but but what are we trying to get to? And and a lot of what what you know, and. I've experienced, or some of us have experienced in this group, it's like you've experienced these barriers. It's not an, it's not necessarily an individual person excluding you or keeping you out. Or these, these are these systemic barriers that have been created through just bias and, and just, just historical, um, you know, like Nate said, these historical long-term centuries old kind of, um, you know, thought processes or, or, or systems or structures and processes that we've created. So, so it is, it's such a fine nuance between, you know, when we're trying to, you know, as, as Jason's saying, like we're trying to include everyone, we're trying to give everybody that, that exact, you know, more equitable shot at the opportunity. And then, but there, there just are these barriers in place that we all have to, we all have to take the time and start to educate ourselves on what those might be and how, um, you know, how we've been raised or, or how we've been advertised to how we've got, um, these different groups sort of positioning what the experience is. And if we've only heard from one group for centuries, then it's, it can be very, you know, it's, it's, it's can be jarring for that group to see that, oh, there's other experiences that aren't just mine, but everything in TV and everything in media and everything in my day to day has, has just been sort of for me. Um, and now it's not. So there's that, that feeling of taking away or, or lack, which, um, you know, statistically is just not evident. Um, but that's, most of us don't kind of look at statistics and hold them in our heart. We hold what we feel. Um, but so it's a tough conversation on, on what works best, but to go back to something that Jason said earlier, I think we really, we've got to get over this, this part where it's like, it's optional. Like, oh, I don't accept your lifestyle because it, one, it's none of your business. Um, but two, it's like, it's a workplace. It's a government. It's a whatever. Like these need to be more detached than I personally don't agree with you having a cat. Well, okay, too bad. Like, I love my cat. So like, so these things like, and that's to me what it seems like when people are like, oh, I don't agree with you being a different color. I don't agree with you loving this person and not that person. Who are you? Like, so I think there's a little bit of that. We're in this weird sort of time period where, you know, be, with social media, you can sort of amplify these weird opinions that you're like, oh my gosh, like, don't you have friends to tell you to just not say anything at all? Cause that's an option for you. You need um, a better support system. Right. You need a better support system. <laughs> or like, is your whole support system saying that this is good? Because like, geez, you know, you that's need to spend true. time on something else, right? Like, gosh, there's so many problems true. in the world that you're like, really? Um, but we do need to watch that, that risk of like, oh, this is sort of optional. I can I can include, or I can exclude. And you're like, you know, let's just, let's just s support people and make them feel good. Well, and that's such a great point. You bring up so many amazing points. One of the ones that I want to hone in on is social media. And it's such a big culprit because if you are looking at something on, let's say Facebook or Instagram, the algorithm will continue to feed you with that kind of rhetoric 
regardless of whether what that is. And it could be racist. It could be, you know, non-inclusive. And so you're seeing it and you're seeing it and you're seeing it and you're seeing it. And then all of a sudden you think that it's the right way to be, feel, think, and, you know, hear, speak, whatever that is. And so social media really does not help with that either. Because you could be just like looking something up to find an answer to a question and then you're seeing it all over the place. Gabby, did you want to jump in here? Um, so yeah, so, you know, you asked that question, like, does inclusion have a negative connotation or is it sometimes or even acceptance or acceptance? Um, mm -hmm. you know, and I think, you know, what everyone shared is, is spot on in the sense that, you know, there's a group of people that don't agree with this, but I think, you know, I think we have to put ourselves in the shoes of those. Um, there's there's groups of people that are part of the dominant group, and there's people that are part of the non-dominant group. And right now, the world supports in the mainstream is that dominant group, and we can't forget them that they are also um, part of this journey, and they're part of doing things different into the future. So it's easy to hate on the reverse discrimination folks. And trust me, like I go into organizations that are, are really, you know, progressive and they really want to do this work, but you realize very quickly that the, you know, usually the leadership is all white, it's all men of a certain age. And you realize like they have good intentions, but they also feel threatened by this work. Mm. So, you know, I think it's really important when we're doing this work is to, to strategize and think about how do we bring everyone into this conversation? How do we bring that those folks that sometimes don't understand and they don't understand because they've never had to experience being part of a non-dominant group, right? Uh, and they still have good intentions. How do we bring them into the conversation? And that's what, to be honest, what I spend a lot of time doing. That is a lot of times what my job is, is going into these organizations good intentions, they know they've got to do something, but they just, they don't understand the issues. And I think, um, you know, it's really important that we, you know, that I, at least from, you know, the the seat that I hold is to, to involve them in that organ in, in that conversation, uh, to make this also about them. Um, you know, they may have children, they may have relatives who belong, you know, you know, oftentimes, you know, what, who I find is the most movable in this conversation is, I'll meet an executive, you know, middle-aged with grown children who says, oh, you know, I've, I've just, you know, got involved in thinking about this because I, you know, I have a, a child who's part of the LGBT community. And, you know, and suddenly they are like all ears and they want to do something. So, you know, it's finding those opportunities to connect with people to make this also about them and that they can make, have an impact in it. Um, and, and I do think, and I always say this, like it, we don't need everyone to be bought into this work. Okay. It would be wonderful if I could change everyone's hearts and minds about being a more inclusive person, being a kinder person, being more accepting, being more, you know, open to others. But the reality is that that's not going to happen. Right. I always say 20% of the population is unlikely going to move. They are so set in their ways and they just hate this conversation about inclusion. 60% of the population could go either way. They could either become an ally and support it, or they can turn, you know, if we turn them off too much about it, they're just going to 
be at that bottom 20%. And then 20% are always bought in. People that, you know, recognize that they want to make a change and uh, go along with this journey. So, you know, I think it's so important that we're thinking about at inclusion at the individual um, pers- like level, like changing people's hearts and minds and making sure people are doing the right thing. But it's at that organizational level, it's changing those systems, it's changing the processes, changing those dynamics that really will make traction towards building a more inclusive workplace or a more inclusive world. Sarah, can I, can I jump in on that quickly? Yeah. You so look, I think social media, to your question, actually is an ally, right? And I'll, I'll back up with this story. Um, Many years ago, I went to Egypt to do my scuba diving, my paddy course, okay? Nice. I went by, my, I went by myself. And during, you know, on the resort, you sit down, you speak to people. Anyway, a couple asked me to come over and speak to them. And I did that. Long story short, um, they were from a, a, like the southern, south uh, western part of the UK called Cornwall, like Devon, that area. And they asked me, is my blood red? Now, I'm going to get to a point. Um, they hadn't had much interaction with or exposure to black people. That particular part of the UK was very much not a diverse area at all. What social media has done it is allowed everyone to have a platform to be seen, irrespective of their identity, right? Mm. Before, when you had just a TV and a printed press, which was controlled by, um, by, by global organisations, the, the message was always consistent, and therefore it was very, very exclusive. And so the message or the mantra or the the tropes that were pushed down through these media um, platforms, as in the printed press and TV, was always the same. Black people died first in the ways of films. They were always drug dealers. There was never anything positive. What social media does today, I think, is particularly with the generation, is it Y and Z, or Z, should I say, um, you know, it allows them to actually share what their stories are, what their experiences are. Suddenly the world becomes so much smaller because you want to have exposed to and have experienced seeing all different types of life. That was never the case before when you watch your typical TV show or read your, your newspaper, where, the, you know, particularly in the UK, particular press um, uh, newspapers, they carried always negative stories about mm-hmm. black people, about starving Africans, always negative about knife crime, all this kind of stuff. And it meant that whenever someone read the story, they only ever saw a black face with a very negative story. Now on social media, you find so many experiences of different people doing amazing things that really opens up the world to those who maybe had a, let me say, a, 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 uncon- a conscious, no, an unconscious bias. So I think social media perhaps has been a proponent to successes that we see across that transformation society, whereas before we were held captive to just those small, um, those large organic platforms. Well, and I, I think that. it's the same within um, cable and streaming. Because if you think about cable and you think about all the news channels on cable and this and that, the same thing happened there, right? And now with streaming, we have access to watching documentaries and TV shows and movies on all sorts of things. Audrey, I think, was it Getting Curious that we were watching? Uh, we watched, no, we watched, um, are you talking about the one with Laverne Cox? Yeah. Sort of the, the main was um, Disclosure, maybe? And yeah, and so that went into um, a history of how Black people um, and people from the LGBTQIA plus community were um, uh, shown in movies back in like, you know, 1900 and I don't know, 30s, maybe I can't remember. 
And that went through a whole history of how we are today and how a lot of people feel about those two communities because of what they were shown and their parents were shown and their grandparents were shown in the movies so long ago. And I think, you know, with streaming, like I said, we have access to so much more great information and people do, doing so many amazing things like you were talking about, Jason, to give us access to this information and showing us what we've been conditioned to, right? And I think it opens up a whole bunch of opportunities. So, you know, I want to ask you, because Jason, you mentioned the um, the education piece. Gabby, you said a lot of times they're only open when somebody in their family or close circle of friends has gone to a non-dominant group, et cetera, et cetera. Nate, what do we do about educating people? Because, you know, you think about the words DEI, you hear, you hear about diversity and inclusion all the time. It's now almost a buzzword. How do we get the work done when everybody's like, oh, I'm part of it, but I'm not really doing anything? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about, uh, so I love this conversation about conditioning and, and about social media and, and kind of the, the representation pieces that, that it opens up and, and the education components. Um, I'm also thinking that those are things that like, I'm gonna choose to watch a, I'm gonna choose to watch a documentary. I'm gonna choose to go on social media, but um, uh, at work, at work in particular, right? I'm going, I'm going to work and in that environment. It's an environment that we can control. So I can step outside or I can hop on social media or whatever, and I don't know what's gonna happen. I can be harassed on the street. I can come across like a transphobic, you know, character on a television show. Uh, and I know that's a possibility all the time. But at work, it's an environment that we can actually control. It's an environment that we can provide the training, provide the resources, have real consequences and accountability when things don't go right. And I think because of that, it's a really unique space uh, that we're really able to create an environment where everyone can feel whatever words we're going to use, included, accepted, uh, just like they can really thrive and be successful because we're able to control all the different aspects of it. So I think it needs to be um, embedded into each and every aspect of an organization. So uh, I think with some of the words, like when we use these words, um, it can be siloed and be like, well, this is the inclusion team and they're going to take care of the inclusion, <laughs> you know, whatever that means. But if it's embedded into onboarding and recruiting and every manager's training has it and um, each team understands what, what it means to them, whether it's uh, marketing, making sure the campaigns they're putting out are representative and inclusive and they'll always have closed captions on their videos and they'll always have alt text in their photos or, or whatever it is. Um, operations and, and uh, making sure project management systems are, are, are inclusive of neurodiverse folks. There's like so many different ways each, each level of the organization uh, can make sure that they have a part in it. And that's where I really think it, it depends, right? I think the education looks, looks different based on what somebody is doing, but I think across the board, it always needs to happen. I mean, it's an interesting question, Sarah, because for me, I've, 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 I've been toying with an idea that representation doesn't need to be representative. Let me explain that. Um, I'm not LGBTQ+, but I can understand what someone who is LGBTQ+, experiences. I understand how they're marginalised. So can I stand up and represent their case and fight their battle and, and be shoulder to shoulder with them side by side and, and fight with them to get equality? Absolutely. Do I need to have a black person as the head of DNI to ensure that I get represented? Not necessarily. And this is where the education piece happens. This is where the, the acceptance piece happens when anyone can represent a cause because they get it from the heart. They understand 
that this is about creating a level playing field for everyone. And I think if we look at it from that from that perspective, that you might have, look, I worked for an investment bank um, many years ago for five years, and they had a group called Ujima. And that group was represented and headed up by a black individual. And I understood why it was required, why they tried to do it. But in actual fact, you could have anyone representing that group of individuals because the purpose or the outcome was to allow everyone to understand that irrespective of their identity, there will there should be equality no matter what. And so the educational piece and the you know trying to appeal to the hearts and minds of people to get change to happen, I think it can happen with anyone representing everyone or anyone, should I say. Can I, can I ask you though, if it was a white male? So um it was a white male, but but this is the thing. I I I toyed with the idea again because also what you want to see is you do want to see your own at the top of that screen or on the right. top of that screen like actually representing you. Yeah. So so there, there, it's a bit of a conundrum in a sense that, yes, you want to talk about, you know, uh, LGBTQ plus people or women are senior managers and senior executives. You kind of want to have someone giving that speech who is female, who's a woman, who can give that, deliver that message of, um, of encouragement and, you know, fight the good fight and keep trying to be your best you can. And I think it's I think there's an authenticity around the delivery around the mouthpiece who's delivering that message. But does it mean that someone who's not LGBTQ plus or female has to be lazy and just kind of rest on the laurels? Absolutely not. Everyone can participate and contribute. Hmm. Interesting. Because I also wonder about you know, you resonate with who you see up there. And if you've got one person speaking on behalf of a group, they're also they're obviously not going to represent everybody at all times, right? And that's one of the reasons why we're doing the blended pledges so we can see a plethora of different people up on stages so people can resonate with those people. Um, But if you've got one person, I think a lot of times it's, it's sort of difficult for an organization to think about who that one person could be. Because if they go one way or another, they're going to be, there's going to be some sort of pushback in some way or another, or they're not going to represent some of the people that they do want to represent. And so when you think about this concept, which is a really great concept, by the way, and I think it's really important that we're talking about this right now, because this is a really big problem, I think, for organizations, is what would you say to them? And then I'll go to Gabby and Audrey. So, um, so the, the, the key thing is, and th- this is the challenge that we, that I think society is now at, right? There's been a confluence of events that have happened over the last three or four years that have really brought DNI to the fore. You've got George Floyd's murder. You've got the LGBTQ plus community really getting in prominence with the rainbow movement. You've got, um, uh, you've got Whitney Wolf, Wolf Heard becoming a self-made billionaire, starting her own technology business. So there's now a real drive for more of these communities to really try and make sure that equality happens. Um, the challenge that I think corporates then have from a business perspective is you might find, unfortunately, a bias where the person doing representation from a DNI perspective is of a particular community. Mm-hmm. So does a, an LGBTQ person leading DNI within an organization focus really holistic, like focus really on just the, the LGBTQ community because there, there's a, 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 a not a preference, but there's, they understand those challenges. Mm-hmm. But the black person really focus only on making sure there's a black equality across the business, and therefore exclude other ethnic minorities as well. That is a huge challenge. Um, but when you have an organisation, there's normally one person leading the team. What you want is yeah. that lead is irrespective of the lead, that tip of the spear. The team underneath them are representative, and those are the ones mm-hmm. who actually can make the change. 
this person is simply just a representation, uh, sorry, a, a, a conduit to the executives to kind of get buy-in. But everyone underneath them, irrespective of the diversity rate, could be more diverse, actually can be the ones who are actually making real active change. It's a real challenge. Yeah. I, I haven't got the answers for sure. I come across <laughs> the problems on a daily basis in my business. Um, but it's one that I think over time we'll realise that actual fact because of equality, the need for equality, it actually becomes inclusive and no longer mm -hmm. exclusive over time. Well, and we're also seeing it in women's sports. I don't know if you guys have seen the explosion in women's sports. I mean, for me, I've been playing sports my whole life and it's huge, right? Really, really, really excited about that. And I think that's also movements like those and actually seeing movement and seeing money put into those types of movements, I think will also help as well. Gabby, I know you're leaving us soon. So if you want to um, maybe weigh in, here and talk about the education piece um, and then maybe talk about one thing you'd want people to sort of consider from this conversation. Yeah, so from the education piece, like I, you know, often clients will come and say, we wanna do some DNI training. Like often that is the first thing they'll reach out about. They're like, we wanna get on board. Can you do some training? And I always say, I'm happy to do training, but there is tons of research that shows training goes in one ear and out the other. Yes, it will build some awareness and it's a real, it's necessary. You need some level of awareness. Um, but I think it's one piece of the puzzle. The puzzle is huge. Training, building awareness is one thing. Again, it has to work in conjunction with this idea of the organization as a whole has to change. The systems have to change the way things get done. What's your performance management process? How do you promote people? How do you Rate, rate people who who gets the best ratings who are your top performers you know like how do you pay people like asking these real questions and deconstructing the processes that you use uh with an inclusive lens my goodness like that's I think that's where it's at education very important but one small piece of the whole puzzle because if we're hoping to change the world and make it more inclusive by training ourselves out of this like it's not happening like it is not happening so I would say that and I think you know to Jason's point he was saying like you know do you have like the DNI leader you know represent one group you know, I, what I've seen work really successfully in organizations is, you know, the leadership team says we want to get on this journey and they hire someone or they appoint someone with that responsibility that they're going to create a more inclusive workplace. And that person owns that piece of work, that portfolio, just like the marketing person owns communications, just like the CFO owns the finances, where they're given the right resources to do the work. And they're given, uh, you know, the allocation of, of, of money to do that work. And then that person is cannot be tasked with changing everything in that organization. Like that is impossible. And there's tons of people you'll see on LinkedIn saying people are being hired as chief uh, inclusion officers or DNI experts. And then they fail in an organization because so much responsibility is put on them with no resources, no people to help them do the work. So what I've seen that has been successful is definitely an organization has to signal that they are serious about this, appoint someone, give the responsibility to someone, give them the right resources. But that person, if they, um, you know, have the experience, which I hope they do, that they've hired, you know, they recognize that they cannot do this work alone. This work requires a million DNI champions 
within the organization doing this work for them. So I think a big DNI team isn't going to make you more inclusive. What will make you more inclusive is making sure you have people in supply chain that are thinking about things from a DNI perspective. People in the talent lifecycle are recruiting more inclusively. That the products you're putting out for your clients are more inclusive, and you're building that capability internally with all these various peoples across levels and across the organization to make this happen. One person, one small team, even if I had, you know, I used to work for one of the large consulting firms, we had hundreds of people on the DNI team. And we knew that even if we had double the hundreds that we had, we still weren't going to get that inclusion if that feel that feeling of inclusion that we were trying to create was not permeating throughout the organization. Yeah. So you know, so the, I'll say that, but as last words, and I know that I said a lot, you know, I think, look, this is really hard work um, in DNI. It's, it's a journey that doesn't have a final destination because as we learn more about different communities that have been, you know, in the sidelines that haven't been included as a society, as we continue to grow and, and learn, we realize like we're never going to arrive at true inclusion like that. I don't think that that and that's not the end goal. It's a journey. All of us have in our power to start the journey, even if you don't and even if one of your listeners they don't even agree with this conversation, even if they think like, why are we talking about this? It all starts with one person. Get a get a bit curious, you know, and I'm talking to that person right now who just have, does not want to have anything to do with, with this conversation. You know, get curious. Why are people talking about this? Could there be like other experiences that people are having that are not like mine? Mm -hmm. uh, get curious and get onto that learning journey to find out more about others and why they may feel not included and to learn about some of these, you know, really terrible historical things that perpetuate what's happening today. Um, all you. it takes is all of us to, to get on the journey and uh, to want to learn um, wherever we are. Yeah, I appreciate that, Gabby. Thank you. And I think Jason has to leave us soon too. So I want him to just jump in with his, what, what do you think um, people should walk away from this conversation with? I think curiosity. Be curious to ask yourself, why did I have an adverse reaction to that person when they walked into my office? It doesn't make you racist, doesn't make you sexist, doesn't make you homophobic. You might have an unconscious bias that you aren't aware that exists. Mm. And so to ask yourself the question without, look, making yourself accountable is a key, is a key thing here where uh, it drives success, it drives change, it drives transformation. If I have an adverse reaction to someone and I don't know why, I need to look into that because that person has done nothing wrong. You know, what have I been conditioned to understand or to learn? What do I need to unlearn? And sometimes, particularly in the Black community, we say, it's not my job to teach you not to be racist, right? But in actual fact, I think we've got a job to do to actually ask the question, why do you feel the way that you feel? Why do you think my blood isn't red? Why do you think, you know, certain things? And I think when you begin to ask questions that make someone else accountable um, for their own actions, for their own thought processes, and then they begin to realise, in actual fact, that's just another person. They're LGBTQ+, they're transgender, they're disabled, they're neurodiverse. Whatever it is that their identity is, you know, their normal is actually normal. <laughs> and that's the key thing. So I, I always encourage people to ask themselves their own questions around unconscious bias. 
I think the conversation around unconscious bias is a much more palatable conversation to be had than ones when you're accusing someone of being, or they are accused of being homophobic or racist or sexist or misogynistic, et cetera. What is the underlying things that you feel drive your perceptions and thoughts about that person? Has that person lived up to what you think they are? And if not, what have you done or what can you do to change your own perspective? And I think it really is a going on a journey where you hold yourselves accountable. Unfortunately, Sarah, to be honest, um, for the most part, people hate accountability. Yeah. And that's why the new generation that's coming up, this Gen Y, Gen Z, they are really pioneers in changing the status quo for the next 20 years, the next generation. Yep. And yeah. so uh, I, I encourage I encourage self-reflection. I encourage accountability and asking yourself the questions around your unconscious bias. Well, thank you so much for for that. And I think the other thing to that is the word love, right? I think we got to love ourselves enough to be able to hold ourselves accountable. We got to love other people enough to let them be themselves, right? And I think, um, you know, that's part of what I was trying to say at the beginning with the word acceptance, but you don't like that word, Jason. So <laughs> I will talk again. we won't be changing it anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> it's been wonderful to be part of this and i thank you for the conversation i'm sorry much. all good thanks jason <laughs> so nate and audrey that. we have taught like gabby just said a whole bunch of amazing things jason just said a whole bunch of amazing things yeah. now i want you guys to weigh in as we sort of wind down this discussion i want to hear what you guys have to say around the education piece and kind of what people need to be focusing on because Again, this episode is about the words and the words that we're using. And people do focus on the words. I think we're talking about getting too wrapped up in the words, but I think that's how people communicate, right? So talk to me a little bit about that. Audrey, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, that was that was a lot of good stuff from <laughs> such a good conversation with a lot of good stuff from Jason and Gabby there. And, you know, it's interesting what Jason was saying, touching back on what he was saying with representation. I mean, I'm lucky I work at a company that, I mean, it was women founded. Um, we, we still maintain a woman CEO in part of our division. Um, you know, and we have a lot of, you know, our sort of head office is, is European. It's a lot of senior white male executives. Um, but overall, as, as best as they can, or, or they're very motivated to have what they consider a workplace where people enjoy coming to work. And so there's been as much as, you know, our, our CEO is a white blonde, um, you know, sort of Canadian lady. Um, I don't, I think as much as she can and with the experiences that she's had and the people that she's meeting, there's a commitment to growth and to always doing better. And, and, and there's also a willingness on her part to have uncomfortable conversations and to receive difficult feedback. Um, and, and sort of what Jason was talking about this accountability, but also this, you know, she may not identify with a lot of the sort of, um, you know, maybe marginalized or, or underrepresented um, identifiers that we're talking about, but in her mind, it's like, she, you know, she's, she's open to hearing what, what we can do better and as a company, it's like, we're, we're just trying to, to keep, keep going forward and learning it as we go. But ultimately this place, we want it to be an enjoyable workplace for, for people who like love cosmetics, beauty tools, bath accessories. Um, so I think that's a key, a key thing. I don't know, Nate, what do you think? I mean, I, I, 
I, I, I agree. Um, and I, but I would also say that I, I also don't, um, even if I didn't enjoy coming to work, I would want, I would want to make sure that I would feel like I can do my job well. And I think it's like a really like a noble goal for people to enjoy coming to work. I think it makes for a much better workplace. I think the work is better. I think people are more productive and retention is higher and all of these benefits to it. So I think it's a really important goal. But at the same time, even if I was coming just in to, to do my job, I would want to make sure my workplace is set up that, that I can do that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I do like that too. And so what are your thoughts, Nate, on, because we're talking about the words, on inclusion versus acceptance? Do you have the same sort of feelings about the word acceptance that Jason does? <laughs> so for me, acceptance uh, is often like um, the opposite of rejection. So whenever I'm thinking about acceptance, I'm thinking about the rejection that came before it. So I'm thinking about um, uh, my parents, after a really long time of not accepting my queer identity, have now accepted have now accepted it. So for me, when I'm thinking about acceptance, I do mm. I do re really strongly correlated to rejection or like um, this club is now accepting new members. Uh, and before right. it didn't accept new members, meaning like there was a time when they were actively rejecting people. So for me, when I'm thinking about acceptance, that's just the connotation that I have. Um, where it's almost like people are like letting, you know, like opening the door or, or letting folks in. And that can be really beautiful at times or it can be uh, hurtful uh, and, and less so. Um, That's true. So, that's true. So, I always, I always correlated I, acceptance with, with the word love. And that's what I said at the beginning. And, you know, I, I don't want people to tolerate this work. Right. I don't want them to do this work just because they feel like they have to be seen doing it. And I, and people who can't see me right now, I have air quotes, like going like furiously, <laughs> you know? And so, and as we talk about words being so important and how we talk about this work being so important and how we talk about the next generation and the like the, what we're putting on the next generation, because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are really going to be pushing this forward. I think everybody needs to push it forward. And I think it's important that we're all on the same page as to what the work means, what the words mean, what we're using them for, how we're using them. Right. And I just, I, I just, I also don't want it to become a buzzword just to do it because it's, you know, not necessarily the right thing to do, but it's the thing that everybody else expects you to do. And I do the bare minimum because I tolerate it. I think pick, people pick up on that though. It's the same with the greenwashing. Like okay. people, people, tar, people, people pay attention, you know, I think, so, but to extend Nate's analogy about, you know, the club. And I, I think specifically in a, in a gendered fashion, you know, experienced male only gentlemen's only clubs, um, and being a woman, you're not, you're not invited. Um, and then it was like, well, now we have to be invited in because there are laws that say you can't keep me out of this club. And so now it's like this, this concept of like, oh, I've accepted you. We've opened the door so you can come in. It's still a male oriented club with all of the sort of trappings and fixings of what that meant. So even though I'm a woman, I can, yes, you can freely enter this space. We've been forced to invite you. Um, I don't know <laughs> that, that that's the feeling. Um, I don't know that that makes me feel better um, about participating in that. So I think there's there's that piece too, where it's this, okay, yeah, we've we've decided or we've been forced to to sort of do this and like, well, how you know that I think you mentioned earlier, Nate, like belonging. 
how welcoming or how belong, you know, will I feel like I belong here? It's unlikely. Um, but I do think, I think now people have less, I can't think of a better word than tolerance. People have less tolerance for the, that pretending and faking. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very, it's very, people are very quick to identify when you're not being authentic about it. And I think we just have to keep having the conversations, bringing awareness and, and, you know, every day, I don't know, I was raised maybe because I was raised by people who are perfectionists, but it was like every day raised just to do better. And so for me, I just struggle understanding like why you would want to exclude people who would make things better. Um, you know, but yeah, every day we just choose to do better, choose to talk about it more, choose to support people in the way that they need to be supported and, you know, and hopefully drag everyone along into this, this elevating process. Absolutely. Um, Nate, do you have any um, examples that you can share with us of companies that you're working with that are doing it right? And probably not, you can't probably share the ones that are doing it wrong, but maybe they were doing it wrong initially and the work that you're doing with them has totally transitioned them into a different mindset. Can you share a couple of examples with us? Because I think it's really important, right? That we paint the picture so people can see you might be here but there's so much possibility for you to come and be over here and doing the work actually, you know, produces really good results and helps make an impact. Yeah, I absolutely can. And I also just, I know that you brought up the word love a few times. So I also just want, I've I've been thinking about it and I also (laughs) just wanted to say that I think that there is something there. Love isn't a word that I associate with work, but I think, uh, I think it's important because I think there's something about needing to feel like I'm worthy of asking for the things that I need and I'm worthy of a workplace that treats me right. And mm-hmm. I need to love myself uh, enough or, or love my coworker enough that I'm going to say, uh, even if it makes me uncomfortable, I'm going to do this thing. And so I think that there is something in, in that. I don't know. I like there's, there's something in that sentiment about um, people standing up and saying, I know that, that I'm worth asking for this thing. So th- there is, I, 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 uh, am with you on that. I think that there's something, um, in, important there with, uh, worth, like worth exploring. And I think that that's, um, the companies that I do see it, right. They, they get that implicitly. So there's a bunch of like business outcomes, business benefits to inclusion work, higher rates of retention, saving money, uh, whether it's like saving money on potential lawsuits or just saving money because you have lower rates of turnover. Um, there's just a ton that people can talk about, but, but the real benefit of it is when people feel like uh, you care about the people. You care that the people feel like they are actual real humans that, um, that you support. So the companies that are doing it right know that. And so when they're looking, when they were looking at their, uh, let's say, uh, recruitment processes and um, uh, there's companies that... Um, made a switch to pulling uh, the, the preferred name. Um, so when you when you apply, like you have your applicant tracking system and you have a space for a legal name and a preferred name and this company just made the switch to uh, pull from the preferred name. Meaning like if I'm gonna apply, my legal name is, is not Nate. So if I'm applying to a company and I have to do Nate uh, and I have to put my legal name in, I'm gonna get all of these automated emails that say, hi, legal name, even though I just put my preferred name in. And so I automatically already feel like I, I, I don't belong in this workplace. It's not, I'm not accepted. I'm not included with you know the, all of the words. Yeah. I already feel like that. So, so this company took the steps uh, to actually make sure that that change can happen. And it wasn't easy. They had to like call the customer service and work on it and work through the, the automated systems. Um, but that change, while it may seem small and, and might seem like it affects a limited amount of people, it actually is a huge 
indicator toward inclusion. And I think when folks are looking at uh, the systems that they have, whether you know we mentioned um, performance reviews and, and things like that, I think those really make people feel make people feel the difference because most of the time, the way that I feel about a company is really in my immediate circle. It's how my manager treats me. It's how my immediate team treats me. It's when I'm listening to you know the um, CEO give like an like an all hands meeting. Like th- like those are the places that I'm looking for for indicators of inclusion. So I think. Um, you know, again, when my manager is using my pronouns, when I'm able to come to a manager and say, hey, this X thing happened in this meeting and my manager knows what to do and they're able to understand that and they're able to understand um, and like scaffold, let's say my performance. Uh, if I need help on a project management system that's not working because it's not set up for my, uh, it's set up for a neurotypical brain and that doesn't work for me. So I'm able to go and they're able to change that. Um, those are the places where I see it really working well. Awesome. Audrey? Oh, I think to tap onto that, I think we all, we, we, I think have historically thought of things as accommodations um, and that they were, you know, sort of, well, well, we have this one person and they need this. And I think with the pandemic, it's helped to push this because we found having, you know, having access to the to, and, and, you know, more using of virtual tools, um, which makes it easier for, for, to expand what people can do instead of having to physically be present in a workplace. Um, you know, you can, you can participate virtually, but we had this whole concept, you know, even around parents and childcare leave and, and parental leave. And, um, if I had to go to an appointment, if I, there was all these permissions and, the the sort of accountability or management style was around just managing someone's body in an office. And at least with the pandemic, I think we've seen an illumination of people, you know, for the most part, not everyone and not every day, uh, enjoy doing their work and they just need the tools to do it in the best way possible. And I've, I've experienced, um, you know, a lot of anxiety and I had a manager who understood that some days I, I couldn't, I couldn't do my work and be on in the office. I, I couldn't do both, right? So did you want me to just turn up in the office? I wasn't going to get anything done. I was going to be miserable, you know? So I think that the, you know, this concept of like, it, it was maybe an accommodation, you know, four or five years ago to have me, work, you know, allow me to work from home. Um, but I think now it's realizing whoever your teammates are, you know, my, my best day is when I'm supporting my staff, my teammates to be, do their best work and give them the tools that they need to make that happen. Whether it's equipment at home, whether it's a sort of a varied schedule where, you know, whatever it happens to be. And it's not, I, I don't tend to think of it now as like, I'm accommodating this person or I'm granting this person these sort of things. It's like, we're customizing the work experience so that we can do what we need to do in the best way we need to do it based on a variety of, of what that might be, you know, some days it's, it's this or that. And, and for every person it's, it's different, but it's not this like, Oh, everyone else works like this. <laughs> and then, and then we just have these, like, you know, these people who we sort of have to kind of tolerate, accommodate, and manage. You're like, no, just customize it. So everyone can see what the access to tools, accessories, timing, is and then you know let people let people do what they do 
do best. Yeah. And also give grace. I mean, you talk about us all going remote and using, you know, something like Zoom. Yeah. I think part of the inclusion piece is whether they want to have their video on or not. Yeah. I mean, yeah. let's not give people a hard time if they don't want to have their video on people. Because <laughs> that, mean- that is, that is, a, that is, a yeah, it's, it's, sometimes you can have video. Sometimes you can, you just can't manage it that day. Yeah. It's not, because, it's not like, don't make it a thing. Don't make it a thing and call it in front of people. Like it's a whole conversation piece that I think way too many people are having and forgetting the acceptance and inclusion piece around remote meetings and video on or off um, type thing. And it, Mm -hmm. you know, it varies, right? It varies around the world, what people are used to, what their religion, you know, partly cultural connotations, like there's so many different things that we have to take into account. I think the other thing too is, is that if I work this way, not expecting everybody to work your way. And I know it can be frustrating, right? Because, you know, you want people to level up, but also meeting them where they are and helping them to level up or getting to where, getting them to where they want to be. Maybe they don't want to level up and that's okay. Maybe they need to move on to something else, but having the grace to open up that conversation and have the safe space and inclusion for everybody in that conversation mm-hmm. to really be able to say what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with, what they need help with, right? It's about creating that space and having that safe space. All right. So we're going to wind this down. And I want to know from both of you, because we want the audience to walk away with something they can think about, something that they mm-hmm. can put into action um, from this conversation. So Nate, I'm going to start with you. What do you think people should walk away thinking about doing, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, so I know it might seem simple, uh, but businesses are made up of people and your organization is made up of people. And uh, you yourself as an individual can have a huge amount of impact in whatever your sphere is. Uh, So if it's you're managing others, again, you're on that marketing team, you're in operations, no matter where you are, whatever level you're at in your organization, you can have an impact. And it can be, it can feel really daunting and intimidating because we're talking about these large uh, systemic issues, historical issues, company-wide issues. Um, and that is both true and also wherever you are, you can have, you have the power to, to, to make that impact. If it's on your individual team, that's how that kind of, um, you'll have that ripple effect. So even if you were that one recruiter who, who insisted on making that change to that applicant tracking system, you've now affected hundreds of people who are, who are having that application, who are like going to apply. And you've now indicated to people who aren't applying, but they now see you as, let's say, a trans-inclusive organization or an organization that just cares about uh, who I am as a person and what I want to be called. And so no matter where you are in the organization, I think I, I just want you to walk away with understanding that you have you have the power and the tools to be able to make that impact. Even if you think it's small, it's most likely not. I love that. And it's going to take all of us, right? Just, you know, small little tiny baby steps, one after the other or one together. Um, And so that's how we're going to make a difference. Audrey, last words. Oh, goodness. Yeah, I think it's just, it's try, it's take, it's do, do your best, you know, Jason and, and Gabby mentioned it earlier, be curious, you know, be curious. I, I whenever I encounter something, you know, I, I try to, to sort of read, read, I read a ton. I read a variety of things, sort of industry stuff, books, um, 
you know, listen to podcasts and, and sometimes something will come up that makes me feel really uncomfortable. Like my face gets hot and I'm like, it, it just sort of, sort of hits me. And I'm like, oh, well, I don't know about that. Um, you know, I don't know if I want to go, is that too far? Is that, you know, maybe this is getting, um, you know, it just makes me uncomfortable. And as soon as I feel that, and, you know, I'm not perfect and it's not every time, but I really try to dig in and stop myself and figure out why it's made me feel so uncomfortable. Um, what, what is about my maybe upbringing, my experiences that it's like, that is somehow, um, hitting me in that way. Um, and sort of, you know, can I learn more or can I sit with that, um, without sort of leaping to a conclusion and a, and a, okay, I'm just going to push that away and not deal with it, or I'm going to push it away and consider it, you know, wrong for me or whatnot. Um, but that getting curious, that, that digging a little bit deeper, that self-reflection piece, um, you know, not popping off in comments, <laughs> and, and, and you know, using social media responsibly. Um, but yeah, just there are these little things that we can do. And I think, you know, just building, building our awareness, connecting with, with different people, um, making these little changes that we kind of have heard from different communities. You know, what Nate said about the, the preferred, I like wrote that down. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to make sure we're doing that. Um, you know, so, because it's like something we might do in our day to day, but yeah, I didn't realize the recruit, like, you're like, oh yeah, okay. We can make that change. And, and if all of us can make these little changes and just, you know, treat people, um, as just the fascinating, wonderful human beings that they are, you know, every, every day I'll get better. Absolutely. And, you know, I think whether it's inclusion or acceptance or love Whatever word I think resonates to us as well are the words that we should be using. Um, and I love what both of both of you have said. I love what Gabby and Jason said. And I just want to thank you all for joining me today. I mean, it's been a real pleasure to do this one, acceptance versus, versus inclusion, because it's something that's been bouncing around in my brain for a long time without ever really having the chance to run it by other people and really get your thoughts. So it's been fascinating. And just another example of how diverse voices, having diverse opinions coming together in one setting can really make a difference in how you think and how you move through the world after being part of a conversation like this, whether you're in the audience or on here as a panelist. And I think outside of the exact words we use and what they might mean to us personally, it's clear that the DEI work is never done. We do need to keep having these kinds of conversations and making sure that approaches to DEI evolve as we do, that they move forward as we do, and ultimately that policies and procedures that come out of them do their job to ensure each and every one of us has a place. So don't forget, you can reach out to me or any of the guests on social media if you have anything that you'd like to add about what we've talked about today. And remember to join us again next time for episode 26 of Blended, when we'll be diving into more thought-provoking issues around diversity, equity, and inclusion. You don't want to miss it, and I'll see you then. Thank you so much, Nate and Audrey. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah, thanks so much for having us.